The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, last week in Atlanta, prosecutors leveled charges against the two police officers involved in the shooting death of Rayshard Brooks. Court TV's Ted Rollins will join me to update us on the latest there and we'll ask some tough questions. Should the police have even tried to arrest Brooks in the first place? And is the district attorney's upcoming re-election campaign weighing too heavily on this case? This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you so much for downloading and listening and being a part of everything that we're doing here. And today's program, today's podcast is about a case that happened very close to home for me uh, in the state of Georgia. And this involves the shooting death of Rashard Brooks. And this is one that has caused a lot of controversy again, but really on a couple different sides of the aisle. And there's a lot to get through here. So um, first of all, for those of you not familiar with the story, it, it, it began as a response to someone who was asleep in their car at a Wendy's drive-thru. That simple. Uh, an officer responds, and then another officer responds, then things escalate, and then Richard Brooks is shot and killed. Uh, but the entire thing took another huge turn and pivot when the district attorney in Fulton County, remember, uh, these are Atlanta police officers who usually when they arrest someone, the people they arrest get prosecuted by the district attorney of Fulton County. But now in this case, it was the district attorney of Fulton County investigating the police officers who were trying to make a DUI arrest. And it ended up with Rashard Brooks shot and killed, and it resulted in the DA coming out and announcing these charges. These are the 11 charges against Officer Roth. Uh, the first charge is felony murder. This is a uh, the death that is as a result of an underlying felony. And in this case, the underlying felony is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And the possible sentences for a felony murder conviction would be life, life without parole, or the death penalty. Okay, folks, it doesn't get any more serious. You're talking about felony murder. Felony murder in Georgia is the same as malice murder when it comes to the punishment. You can get the death penalty. This, this shouldn't be a death penalty case. I don't think it's a death penalty case. I don't think they'll seek the death penalty case, but it's that serious. So let's get through and work through some of the facts here, because before you can apply the law to anything, what we, what we try to explain to everyone at Core TV is there are facts and there are laws. And the laws don't make any sense until you apply facts to them. So you've got to establish what exactly happened, and then you take a look at the law and say, okay, was the law violated? Can it be proven beyond any and all reasonable doubt? So let's start with the facts. Let's bring in our fact man, Core TV anchor Ted Rollins. Uh, Ted, I'm bringing you in today perhaps just for the facts. The facts are only the facts. In this case, there are really two sets of facts when we're talking about charges. And, and, and that's the different perspectives from the, different, the two different police officers. 
that responded because what it all comes down to is what role did Garrett Rolfe have, the officer that shot and killed Rayshard Brooks, and what about Devin Brosnan? Both are facing charges, but both had very different experiences um, in what happened. So explain to folks, because you did an incredible job taking the body cam footage, the cell phone footage, the surveillance footage, and like you always do, being able to put it together to figure out exactly what happened here. So, so walk us through a little bit of, of what happened here. What, what starts this whole thing off, this whole set of events? So De- Devin Brosnan, by himself, responds to a call at the Wendy's drive-thru in, in South Atlanta. There's a guy asleep, literally asleep in his car in the drive-thru, and it's creating a problem. People have to drive around him. So Brosnan, uh, he's been on the force technically about two years, but I talked with his attorney, Amanda Clark Palmer. She says, actually, he had taken a leave. He's really only about a one-year guy. So he responds and he finds Rayshard Brooks asleep, knocks on the door, says, hey, get up, dude. And, and, and he asks him to just move his car. And at that point, um, Brosnan, because of his inexperience, calls in help. And he calls a guy, Derek, uh, Garrett Rolfe, who is in a, 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 a person who's not only been on the force for a number of years, but he, he is an expert in evaluating DUI, because that's the question now. The guy's asleep. Why is he asleep? Was he driving under the influence? And then um, things start to progress, and they progress swimmingly. Rolf comes in, talking to Rayshard Brooks. Brooks does everything he's asked for, blows a breathalyzer, walks the straight line. At bottom line, it feels like Brooks is going to get off with a warning. That's what Brooks, you could tell Brooks feels it. And he even says, can I just walk to my sister's house? I'll lock up my car, walk to my sister's That's the other thing. I I picked up on that, Ted, as I'm watching it. It seems like he's in, and he was described by Paul Howard, the DA, as being jovial during the course of this entire thing. And I think he was trying to talk himself out of being arrested, which is, you know, if you're... People do it all the time when you're pulled over, right? I mean, uh, you, you try to be nice or whatever you try to do to create a little rapport with the officer. But there was a breathalyzer here, correct? Yeah, and he blew a .1, which is just a, a smidge over the .08, which is the legal limit in Georgia. So Now you sound like Paul Howard. But you sound like the DA who said he was barely over the limit. Well, it makes a difference. Over I mean, the hey, limit's over the limit, a, though. If he'd have blown a, a, a .15, .2, of course he's he's going in. Point one is there. But, but you only need point oh eight. You only the, the now let's get to the law. The law is point oh eight, right? Correct. And, but then let's the bigger picture okay. is the the uh, danger to society over the legal limit. Over the legal limit, absolutely. So as soon as he blows the point one, wait, 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 Ted Rollins, wait a minute. Technically, what, what, <laughs> he he. Okay, this is a, as you can tell, this is an issue that is very near and dear to my heart, and I'm going to talk more about it later in the podcast. But I was a prosecutor, and it was like you could prosecute people who whose uh, blood alcohol was under the number as well, successfully. They could still be considered under the influence. So being over is over. I mean, all right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ted. You're right. I, I, it I is over. To- I totally back, derailed. Hey, I totally derailed everything yeah. here. The bottom line is he's over. He is over. You're correct. So at that point, Rolf engaged with him and talk and then Rolf makes the decision independently and, and this is the key here Rosin doesn't even know that Rolf's going to take him into custody and Rolf and, and Rolf says that's it sorry you've had too much to drink turn around and now in Rayshard Brooks head he's going to jail for the night and and this is when it all switches when he gets when he's about to get cuffed 
he's not doing, he's not going there. And it goes from zero to 60 in, in, in a millisecond. And it is just chaos. He is wrestling with both of them, takes Brosnan's taser from him, gets up, Ralph chases him. Brosnan now still on the ground, gets up. He sees what's basically happening, but he doesn't, he doesn't comprehend exactly what's happening because he's now. Does Brosnan get hit by the taser? Yes. When, when he does. So he's shot with the taser by Brooks. Um, he, he suffers a concussion and the, ta- the I'm, I'm, I'm not positive that he is shot with it. That contact was yeah. made, but whatever, whatever happens in that tussle, he gets thrown backwards right. and, and hits his and head. And the taser is, is used at that point, according to Paul Howard, because Howard, another thing that Paul Howard says, this taser was inactive after two shots. So Howard says Rayshard Brooks shoots um, at or actually hits Brosnan and then again would later shoot at Rolf. That's a two-shot taser that would have been ineffective afterwards. But bottom line is... Uh, ineffective as a taser, but still effective as a stun gun. Correct. Brosnan's on the ground. Rolf chases. Rolf sees... The, um, he has his taser in his right hand, but then as he's running, he makes the decision to switch out, puts the taser in his left and grabs his service weapon. So now he has his gun in his right hand, and when Brooks turns around and fires that taser that he had taken from Brosnan at Rolf, Rolf drops his taser, uses both hands, and shoots what he believes in his head at that time uh, is, uh, he believes he's in danger, so he shoots Rayshard Brooks and kills him. Now, what happens afterwards, I think, was the biggest part of what the DA, Paul Howard, revealed to everyone when he had these still photos at the press conference. And these still photos, he says, demonstrated that um, Brooks, Rashard Brooks, was being kicked by Officer Rolfe after he had been shot by Rolfe. And that Brosnan stepped on or had his foot on Richard Brooks as he was on the ground. And and now this is where it gets murky. Rolf's attorneys say he didn't kick anybody. You'll see it when the actual video comes out. This was a still frame of his leg in this position. Brosnan, he says, yes, I did step on him. Why? Because I get up and I see, I hear these the gunshot. I run over there. I don't know the situation. So until I can figure it out, I step on his arm to make sure he doesn't have a weapon and he is uh, safe to be around. He says it takes literally seconds. Then he he picks his foot up and ends up rendering aid to Brooks. That's what Brosnan says through his attorney. Right. And that's what has everyone so inflamed here. And, and, and after the press conference was these actions afterwards, trying to get into the mindset of what was going on with these officers. Um, you, you spoke with Amanda Clark Palmer. Let's take a listen to what she said uh, about her client, uh, which is uh, uh, Devin Brosnan. He put his foot on Mr. Brooks's arm or hand for approximately eight seconds. This was right right when he arrived to where Mr. Brooks had fallen on the asphalt. And the reason he did that was to ensure that Mr. Brooks didn't have a weapon in his hand and that um, that he didn't have a weapon within reach. Once that was quickly established, he took his foot back off of Mr. Brooks's hand. Okay, so I could see where their defense is going, but he's not facing murder charges. But Rolf is facing murder charges, potential death sentence, 
life without parole, all of that. But he's saying there was no kick. The, the, the DA did not show a video, right? He has a video, but he didn't show the video. He showed stills at this press conference. Yeah, and, and still from a video that people have not seen. So uh, hey, why would he Why would he lie? I mean, come on. He's, the video is coming out, right, at some point. Um, it, but it is it is interesting. It is, the bottom line here is I don't think anybody believes that Devin Brosnan is going to be found guilty of the three charges he's facing. And 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 so then the question is why was he charged? And that is the debate. I the major debate going on with this case. Rolf, little different situation. Um, the severity of the charges is being debated. But Brosnan, to me, I just don't see a, a, any any jury in this country coming back with a guilty verdict, given what we've seen on that video. Right. And, and, and part of what you do when you charge someone, you charge someone because you believe that they're guilty. Number one, you're convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. And you believe you have evidence that can demonstrate to a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, the bottom line though, with the amount of charges here against Rolf, I mean, they threw the book at him. They figured out every single potential charge you could uh, uh, put against him, not just the murder, but like down the, down the road. I mean, every possible charge. And um, to me, that's what prosecutors should do in cases. If someone has violated the law, you charge him in every, every violation that they have. But I mean, he did not hold back at all. Not at all in this case. No. And we'll have to see because let's face it, police officers are different. They're, they're, they're different in, in and out of the courtroom and um, getting, Getting convictions is going to be difficult in this case is the bottom line for both officers, but mainly Brosnan. Yeah, but here's the other part of this is is um, there, there should be some sort of probable cause preliminary hearing happening at some point in this case. I mean, that's got to happen. But if he is locked up and he's not out on bond, Rolf, um, the grand jury's not meeting in Georgia, right? We don't have grand juries. And, and this might not happen till January that the grand jury actually hears the case. Well, that's what they're saying is Rolf's going to be sitting basically in jail till January until um, a grand jury can see this. And uh, it, which again, there's a lot of questions here with the timing of it. Why didn't Paul, Howard, why, why not wait till the GBI finishes the, the other investigation going on? Um, people have said it's all politics. Um, maybe it's justice. We're not From my standpoint, I don't know what I can't get into Paul Howard's head. Yeah, it's it's difficult. But the other part of this, you say the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, that's the the arm of law enforcement that investigates officer-involved shootings in Georgia, right? They come in. When there's an officer-involved shooting, they come in and do their investigation, and they haven't completed it yet, but it seems that the DA did his own independent investigation based upon whatever information they have, which really is the videotapes, right? This is a case, didn't he say like eight different videotapes? Uh, yeah, eight videotapes. They did speak to witnesses as well. Three very key witnesses and Brosnan did speak with the DA. All right. We got the facts from Ted Rollins, always on the job. Uh, <laughs> great to have you on the podcast again, Ted. This is becoming a regular thing now. I love it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Ted Rollins, folks, one of the uh, anchors on Court TV. You can watch him on television uh, with me every night from 8 to 11 as well. Um, so one thing that came up in my conversation with Ted, and it, it kind of struck a nerve with me, right? And uh, it's DUIs. DUIs. There are people out there who are saying he should have just just let him go home. Just let him go home. 
And, and I was a prosecutor back in the 90s when the world changed, I thought. And I thought it changed that we don't let people who drive drunk just go home anymore. It's just too dangerous. There are too many lives at risk. It is just not what we do. But that's what people are saying. So up next, I'll bring in one of those people who was saying that so we can debate whether or not Richard Brooks should have even been arrested that night. That's next. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front-row seat to justice. Just trying to make sure, man, you're safe to drive, that's all. I know, man. I just... You scared me a little bit because you were sleeping in there, so that's you know why I was making sure you're okay. You know, and then that's. I know, I know. You just doing your draw. Right, just take a deep breath in. Put your mouth over the mouthpiece, blow as hard as you can until I tell you to stop. Blah 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 blah. Stop. Very good. I just uh, had a, a few drinks. That's it. How many? One and a half. Like I said, I was into the second cup. I wasn't even. I told her, babe, let's go, because I'm hungry. I what need what kind eat. of drinks did you have? So, so there you hear the moments just before the officers try to place Richard Brooks under arrest for driving under the influence. This is, like, standard. This is, I would argue, by the book. Now the question is, all right, you've got probable cause to arrest him, but should you arrest him? And what has absolutely shocked me about this case you know, there's a, there's a lot of different parts to it. But this little part is that I've heard people say, just let him go. Give him a ride home. Let him walk home. And, and I'm scratching my head as a former prosecutor from the 90s and thinking to myself, where are we now? Now we're not arresting people for driving under the influence? Didn't we deal with this back in like the 80s and 90s and come to a conclusion that driving under the influence is not a good thing? But not everybody agrees with me. And you know what I do with people who don't agree with me? I invite them on the show. I bring them on the podcast. And joining me now is, is, is someone who rarely agrees with me. Great criminal defense attorney from Atlanta. She knows the law in Georgia better than I do. Eklin Mercy. Eklin, great to uh, have you on the podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Well, you, you say thank you now, but, uh, you know, <laughs> well, actually, she'll probably say thank you for letting me eviscerate you. So... <laughs> but, you know, we're going to have this debate because there are people who are saying, and again, it shocks me uh, that we should have let him go or the officers should have let him go. But let's mm-hmm. let, let me start the debate just with my perspective, Eklund, so you can you can respond, um, because that's what defense attorneys do anyway. You respond to what prosecutors or former prosecutors like me say. There was probable cause here. Right. Slurred speech odor of an alcoholic beverage, the guy is passed out in his car, and he admits drinking, and then he blows into a breathalyzer, and it's .10. The legal limit is .08. It's .10. And I remember being a prosecutor back in the 90s when the world changed, and, it, mm-hmm. and we had the number of fatalities from drunk driving drop 50% from the 90s, 50%. It's still way too high, 
We have more than 10,000 people a year who die as, as a result of driving under the influence, accidents, crashes, crimes, whatever you want to call them. But more than 10,000 people die. He's over the legal limit. He's got all the other... Why would we ever send someone home who is under the influence and is behind the wheel of a car, Eklund? I don't understand it. We, we dealt with this back in the 90s. Okay. Well, here, here's the thing. Um, I believe that the problem with law enforcement is that they're, they're trying to... They protect the law instead of protecting people. Now, here's the thing. You said that as a former prosecutor, and you know as a former prosecutor, Mr. Brooks had no um, criminal history, so this was his first DUI. The worst that he would have gotten was 12 months probation, maybe 10 days in jail, $1,000 fine, 40 hours community service, drug and alcohol evaluation. That's the worst in Fulton County that he would have gotten based on his criminal history. So that is is that was the punishment for that crime. You know how, how to get that punishment? He would have had to get a ticket. You understand that the, the, the and, and another thing is that just like the officer, just like how we have to take in consideration the history and how, you know, all that, the officer needed to take consideration of the climate that we're in. Brooks had more reason to be afraid of that officer than the officer had any reason to be afraid. Brooks was a victim at that point in time. He already knew. He already felt. He blue lives matter. He didn't know. He's in the South. We have an officer who's already, you know, you already feel unhinged, who already by his color, who already sees him as a threat. He already sees, just like George Floyd, just like Philando Castile, they had to already see their lives flash before their eyes because they are in front of the threat. There was no DUI threat when Brooks was when Brooks was running away, unarmed. When 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 the officer with the bulletproof vest could have went into his car and called backup. When he could have taken his time, wrote him a ticket to the address that he knew that he took the information from. So yes, I understand, but the crime would have been answered to by the process of law. He wouldn't have gotten away with it. It was still a crime. It doesn't mean that he should have been murdered. And that was murder. Well, let, let's talk about the, because everyone is saying, people are saying, let him go. Let him walk home. Who gets in trouble if there's a man under the influence with a taser and someone gets hurt with that taser? Who gets in trouble if the man under the influence walking home or running home gets hit by a car? Who gets in trouble if the man who was stopped in a vehicle under the influence decides to get into a second vehicle and gets into an accident and kills someone? Who gets in trouble in all those scenarios? Here's, here's the thing. It's the officer. There's too much liability. Here's, we don't let people no, go here's anymore. The, here's the thing. Those, those, those examples are so outlandish. The only more outlandish thing that we see that's not outlandish is officers killing unarmed black men. Nobody gets in trouble for that. An officer killing an armed, armed black man running away. Nobody gets in trouble for that. So it's, we have to think like the, those scenarios are so far fetched. It wouldn't have happened. You've been on the beat. Any officer worth their salt knows that that weird um, action Jackson stuff doesn't really happen. 
So he wasn't a threat. He was going to go home. He didn't have his passport. He wasn't going to go into a car and do a high-speed chase. He was trying to make it home. And the threat to Brooks was so much more evident than the threat he had to any person in the in in, in the community. So I, I don't buy. So who, so who so explain this to me? Who gets sent home and who gets arrested for driving under the influence now? If we have equal justice, equal justice under the law, right, which is the equal application, who do we arrest for driving out of the country and who don't we arrest? He would have went home anyway. He would have posted bond and he would have went home anyway. There, it it, it, it would have just been more inconvenience to him. He would have went home anyway. But just like how people have to read the room, like you're protecting citizens. That means that, hey, instead of protecting this black and white law, let me protect this brother. Let me make sure that he makes it home because, hey, he fears us. He has reason to fear us because even in my own county that just happened, people like him are dying. And so, like, at the at what? So the officers aren't allowed to read a newspaper. At what point, like, are they going to read the climate? Or at what point are they going to listen? Here, it's just a DUI. The car is parked. I know where he lives. Threat done. If he was scared, he is scared. But he has every reason to be frightened. Guess what? He it, he had reason because he was murdered. You say just a DUI, and I I can't disagree more. I mean, if you go back to 1980, when the Mothers Against Drunk Driving was founded, the numbers were so far through the roof. There's still way too You're talking about close to 11,000 people a year die because of drunk drivers. This is a real threat and a real ongoing. Every 50 minutes, someone dies. That is taken away from the issue, Vinny, because guess what? He could have still been the ticket. He has ticket powers. You can write a ticket. You can give it to them. He still has the DUI that that he still has to go through victim impact panel. He still has to do probation. He still has to do community service. He still has to answer to the law, but let him be alive to answer it. So what I'm saying is it's just a DUI. There was no different would have happened had he, hey, the car is parked. Hey, sir, you know what? You walk home. I'll, I'll drive behind you. Go in the house. All right, here's your ticket, sir. Or, hey, you know what? We'll come in, come, come. You know, officers say, hey, they can turn themselves in in the morning. Here's the ticket. Turn yourself in in the morning. That's also an option. That's what happens when you know your community. That's what happens when you understand that people are dying because they're afraid of police officers and law enforcement. That's what should have happened. So you know, am am I reading you right? That DUI should not be an arrestable offense. Is that what I you're saying? That. Is that what you're saying? Don't no, take people you know who are I'm driving saying. drunk what off I'm, the streets while they're driving drunk. What I'm, what I'm saying is when you don't have direct evidence as an officer, when you did not have direct evidence of the driving of the vehicle, that means that you did not see him drive. That means that the car was already parked. That means that you, had, you, you, you gave him enough agency for him to even drive it. You didn't even have it told. You gave it, you let him drive it to the parking spot. So at that point, he was okay to drive it to the parking spot. You weren't afraid of um, invisible people popping up right then and there. So he was okay to do that. Then you had a full conversation with him. Then you saw that, okay, at this point in time, I'm making, hey, he asks me, 
He is fearful. He has every reason to fear. He has videotapes of endless men just like him in that position dying. So if he is fearful, you as the officer, you with the badge, you, you with the code need to attend to that fear. You don't perpetuate it. That made no sense. Yeah, let him walk so, home. Wait, wait. Get the team we get there. So is your argument that if you are African American driving under the influence, you don't get arrested, but if you aren't, you do? No. What we I'm send, saying is Or do we send all the drunks home? No, what I'm saying is if you have a situation, if you have subjective facts like this, in which the car is in a parked spot, in which, hey, people are absolutely dying in his position, in which, hey, um, he is, you know, we don't know if he's diabetic. We don't know. At the very least, he could have just called the ENT to say, hey, let's make sure that you're okay. Let me call the ENT. And then after you're, you're stable, we'll just transfer you to the jail, something like that. But he didn't even think of that. Why? Because he was black. And that is where we have to get to. That's, that's the problem. We don't get those, those options because we're black. He didn't get that option because Mr. Brooks was black. Was it the 40 minutes? the option to fully evaluate him and have him blow into a breathalyzer at 0.10 is 0.10. Is, is there any, is there any way yeah. around that? I mean, are you not saying no. that he wasn't under the influence? Are you? Absolutely. No, I'm not saying All right. That. And he was in what the car I'm saying, what I'm and he's under the is, influence. Then, he's in the driver's and seat. And then you know what you say, Hey buddy, get in the car. We're, we're just going to take you. It's, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Just get in the car. We're good. We're good. But that whole, you can't, you can't, when somebody is tense, you can't be like, oh, stop resisting, stop resisting. I'm going to tense up. It's like you, you guys are at, um, like the cops are going up against like the laws of physics. Like you can't, if I'm already tense, if I'm already scared, if I already see my life flash before my eyes, if, if like, I mean, yes. Did you watch the you same video I did? It doesn't mean you should be murdered. Did you watch the same video I did? Because up until the point I that did. he was under arrest, everything was great. Yeah, but then here's the thing. You also have to understand that if he had that option to, if he had that option, he could have employed that option. You know what? Let him run. Um, we just going to give him the ticket later or like it's, you know what? He poses no but threat. He already, he poses well, no there's threat. another whole debate here. And, and, and I think we're going to have part two of this one. Okay. At some <laughs> point we're going to have part two of this because the, the, the first part is, is the arrest. And the second part is obviously what everyone else is talking about, which is the criminal case involving the murder. Uh, but, yeah. and, and, and to me, that's a different scenario. Um, but Eklund, um, I think we're going to agree to disagree once again. Mm -hmm. But but uh, we will agree on this, that in, in the real world, despite the fact that you and I look a lot different, you and I probably see things a lot different, we're friends. Mm -hmm. Yes. How about that? Yes. That's pretty amazing. I wish, there was, <laughs> I wish there was more of that right now. That's what we really need. Eklund Mercy, fantastic criminal defense attorney in Atlanta. You can see her on my show all the time, of course, and she'll be back on the podcast because Yay. we need we need people who can debate me. You know, there's not a, there's not a lot of them, but there's there's a few out there. Thanks so much, Eklund. All right, bye, you guys. All right, when bye. we come back, we've got to talk about one more thing, and and this is, you know, I'm a former prosecutor, 
So, and people just accuse me of being like, hey, you're always with the prosecution. Always with the, yeah, I'm with the prosecution when they do their job correctly. But I don't know about the DA in this case. And, and it's for a very specific reason, a very specific reason, and it may not be exactly what you think. I'm going to talk about that when we come back. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. We've concluded at the time Mr. Brooks was shot that he did not pose an immediate threat of death or serious physical injury to the officer or officers. So there is the district attorney of Fulton County, Georgia, which is where Atlanta, Georgia is, talking about the murder charges in this case and, and talking about the moment that Richard Brooks was shot and killed. And he said at that moment, he did not um, constitute any threat of death or serious bodily injury. Now, he has a taser in his hand. So is the district attorney here saying that a taser cannot cause serious bodily injury or is not a deadly weapon? And it's clearly what he is saying. Because if, if you're a police officer and you're being threatened with a deadly weapon, of course you can use force and deadly force against someone. That is... That is part of being a police officer. It's called justifiable homicide. You know, any citizen could do that. Any citizen. If you are threatened with death or serious bodily injury, then, of course, you can defend yourself. That is like 101, self-defense 101. Here we're talking about police officers. So he says that on the one hand. The, the problem I have, okay, if that's his interpretation of the situation, fine. That's the way he is reading it, right? That's his interpretation of the law, that a taser is not a deadly weapon, cannot cause serious bodily injury, and is not a deadly weapon. The problem I have with the district attorney is that just, I don't know, a week and a half before that, he had another press conference involving another case where he said this. As many of you all know, under Georgia law, a taser is considered as a deadly weapon under Georgia law. Okay, you, you heard that, right? So it's the, the same district attorney, Paul Howard, saying that, yes, Georgia law recognizes a taser as a deadly weapon. Here's the problem. He's arguing out of both sides of his mouth on the issue of a taser. And, and, a, and a prosecutor cannot argue out of two sides of his or her mouth. That's what defense attorneys are for. That's their job. Their job is to do anything to prove their case, to say anything to prove their case. That's not your job as a prosecutor. Your job is to do justice. And what is justice? Justice is the truth. Your job is not to get convictions. Your job is to administer justice in your community. So either a taser is or is not a deadly weapon in your community. You can't argue two things in two different cases. The one case where he says it is a deadly weapon is when he's prosecuting police officers for using them 
against uh, a couple of protesters or motorists. But then he turns around and says, it's not when a police officer is being threatened with one and takes down a suspect who has one, is pointing and firing it at the police officer. There is such an inherent inconsistency with that. And that's my problem. That's my problem with the DA. You, you know, the DA can, in, can say, all right, this is what I believe tasers are, and this is the way I deal with tasers. And this is the way I deal with them in every case, with every defendant. But he's not doing that. And that's a huge problem. So why does this happen? And now we really get to the heart of this, I believe, which is the ugly, ugly intersection of politics and the law. You see, in Georgia, district attorneys run for office and are elected, as they are in many jurisdictions and states around the country. It's an elected position. You elect a, a local prosecutor. To me, that is foreign, because I, when I was a prosecutor, was in the great state of New Jersey. And New Jersey does it a little bit differently. They don't elect prosecutors. Prosecutors are appointed. It's still a political process, right? You probably got to raise money for the guy who becomes, or guy or gal who becomes governor, right? Is gal even a word? Do the, do, people don't like that word gal. I use that word because my mother always used it. You know? But some people get offended. So I'll say woman. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So whether it's, it, whether the prosecutor knows the governor or did something for the governor, they, they can get appointed as the prosecutor. But it's not in a directly elected position. So the decisions and the choices that a prosecutor makes in administering justice in their jurisdiction is not impacted at all directly by trying to appease a voter base. It doesn't work that way. The only person you're going to appease is the governor. But once you're, once you're appointed, then you're, you're in until there's a new governor. And then you're probably out. So to me, that's a cleaner system for a job that is as important as a prosecutor. But I understand why people want to elect them. But when you elect them, it subjects them to politics and, and making decisions not based upon what is right and wrong, not based upon the law, not based upon what I do in each and every case, not based upon seeking the truth and justice, but you are to some extent influenced by how is that going to play with my voter base? And right now, that district attorney, Paul Howard, is in, a, in the fight of his life. He's been the DA for the longest time. And, and I, have to, I have to reveal, I'm a, a citizen of Fulton County. And I will admit it. I voted for him. I think I have to reveal that, right, to have any credibility here. I voted for him. And I voted for him because I know from living here how many criminal defense attorneys hate the guy. So I'm thinking to myself, if all these criminal defense attorneys hate this prosecutor, he must be doing something right, right? But maybe my, my thought process was wrong. Maybe I have to recalibrate that a little bit. But to me, this is a real problem, a real problem, that in, in some way the political winds are blowing a certain way and he's making decisions potentially based upon those political winds. And to me, that's, that's when things get ugly. That's when things get inconsistent. That's when there's not an administration of justice, which is the truth, which is, which is even-handed, which is, you know, saying a taser is a deadly weapon all the time or saying a, a, a taser is not a deadly weapon all the time. But when you're inconsistent on that, 
it, it to me, undermines your credibility. And it, that will be an issue in this case going forward. Trust me, it's an issue. It's a huge issue, a big issue. One of the reasons I'm talking about it, and uh, I don't know who I'm going to vote for next time. I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but we'll see. But I, I just, I had to call him out because I'm a former prosecutor and I hold them up to the highest standard possible every time, every single time. We're out of time. Thank you so much. This has been uh, a pleasure spending time with you and talking about uh, this case. By the way, there's another podcast that Core TV has, hosted by me, by the way. Murder and the Menendez Brothers is one of those episodic podcasts where we walk you through this incredible transformational trial from the early, early days of the original Court TV. Episode one is out. Episode two uh, drops on Tuesday. So make sure you check out Murder and the Menendez Brothers. Um, it's another Court TV podcast. And if you want to watch me on television, because I'm on television too, I don't just do this. This, this is incredibly fun incredibly rewarding and important. But I'm also on TV every night from 8 to 11 on Court TV to see us. If you have a digital antenna, make sure you have recently rescanned it because we are distributed all over the United States of America. So to see us, rescan your antenna. That's it for this week, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the Court TV podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. As always, have a great day. Don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.